This is Tuned Into the Land, the California Rangeland Trust podcast. Here, we will dig into a variety of topics with the partners, conservationists, and ranchers who demonstrate every day, through their words and actions, the importance of conserving California's working lands. Tune in each month to learn more about our mission and how you can get involved in preserving the future of the Golden State for generations to come. Hello and welcome to the latest installment of Tuned In to the Land. I'm your host, Michael Delbar, CEO of the California Rangeland Trust. California produces over 400 commodities, some of which are only commercially produced here, making agriculture a substantial contributor to our state's economy, injecting over $132 billion annually. Our agriculture sector stands as a linchpin for food security, economic well-being, and environmental quality. Despite its importance, agriculture often faces unjust criticism, stringent regulations, and ongoing challenges, exacerbating the hardships endured by farmers and ranchers. The dwindling number of these essential stewards raised the potential for food insecurity, not only for California, but for our nation and the world. As we are all too familiar with, we are losing agricultural land at an alarming rate. According to a recent study by the American Farmland Trust, 2,000 acres a day are lost to development and conversion. And more recently, we've seen a dramatic increase in foreign governments purchasing U.S. agricultural land, which threatens our national security. This is a major issue for not only farmers and ranchers, but for all of us. Today, we are joined by Senator Melissa Hurtado. Senator Hurtado represents Senate District 16 in the agriculturally dense Central Valley and now serves as the chair of the Senate Agriculture Committee. In this episode, she will provide deeper insights into these pressing issues and share her perspective on potential solutions for the future. With that, I welcome Senator Hurtado to our podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me for the invitation, and it's good to uh, be with you all here this morning. And Michael, it's good to see you again. Likewise, Senator. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? What drove you to pursue public office, your time as a senator, how you became involved and, and now lead the Senate Ag Committee. Yes, I really, it has a lot to do with where I grew up, where I was born. And that's uh, in the in the Central Valley here in California. Uh, I was raised in a small little town called Sanger. I don't know how many of you are familiar with it, but it's east of Fresno County or east of the city of Fresno. And Growing up there, uh, being the daughter of immigrants, my my parents uh, moved to California, but specifically the Central Valley, in search of the American dream. And specifically, they they saw that dream um, and they envisioned that dream working in agriculture. And they were, you know, not knowing um, any English or not having any education. They were able to rise within the ag sector and lived their American dream. And so growing up there, they worked hard. And I know how hard um, people that that work in agriculture and and I just have a little bit of different perspective, I think, than most individuals um, that uh, do policy in the California legislature because of the work that my parents did. And, you know, oftentimes I had um, my father's former boss, 
came to my quinceañera. I mean, that's that's agriculture. That's the community. That's what we're like. We're there for each other. It, there's a sense of community because there's 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 just we're just so few, right? In in rural parts of of the nation, and specifically here in California and in the Central Valley. Uh, and so I, I know that uh, when poverty strikes, it doesn't discriminate, and we know that that's very much real in uh, the Central Valley and rural communities. And um, it, it, it just, when it hits home, it makes you upset and it makes you want to do something about it. And for me, it was trying to create opportunities for individuals uh, in, 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 rural, in rural parts. And I, I began my service uh, at the city council level. And then I ran for state Senate two years thereafter, hoping to bring additional resources to uh, to my small little community, but also beyond, because, of course, in the Senate district, there's a lot more uh, communities in there. And so uh, I've been it's been an honor of, of my life to represent the rural part of California in, in the state Senate. And I'm very happy about the many things that we have accomplished, but also um, fighting to make sure that we continue to work towards improving the lives of those that live in rural parts of California. No, you definitely bring a, a, a unique perspective and a knowledge of so many issues to the committee. And that's for the largest ag state in the nation, having somebody on a committee and particularly chairing it that understands these issues is so important. And oftentimes, you know, we don't always see that. So thank you for doing that. Uh, in August, I was honored uh, to be invited by you to testify at an information hearing uh, to your, your committee. And the topic of the hearing was navigating the threats to California agriculture. The impetus, is, of, as I recall, was originally around the possibility of foreign governments purchasing nearly 54,000 acres of ag land near Travis Air Force Base. And when the hearing was originally set, we didn't know what was going on there. We just knew that large swaths of, of land were, were being purchased. And there was a thought that you know, this could be foreign government involvement. We've since learned about Flannery and Associates, Silicon Valley investors wanting to create a, a green city in the middle of all this ag land in Solano County. Could you perhaps speak to some of the concerns you heard uh, that surfaced and share with us the impetus for calling for this hearing? Absolutely. I mean, really what got me, uh, I've been working on this, this issue area for a couple of years now, since about 2020, and it really all began with the the pandemic. So the pandemic arrived, the world was impacted. And of course, in the Central Valley, um, we were impacted as well. And what I began to hear in the community from constituents, some farmers, uh, was concern about you know, all these farms that were going up for sale and just curiosity as to, okay, well, who's buying these farms? And so it was, it was really difficult to get information um, when my team and I kind of dug into it a little bit more. Um, but we, we did the research, we, um, sponsored legislation SB 1084, and then that went through and was vetoed by the governor. And then we made an effort again, because I truly believe that we must do more about food security, because I, I believe that in California, as big as, as this, uh, 
industry sec- industry sector is is part of the economy and part of the state and not just in the nation but in the world people look to california's agriculture uh, community for solutions for ideas uh, on how to just how to be able to be sustainable and uh, secure food for for everyone and so obviously i think it's an, it's a, it's an important issue that in california we we're not adequately addressing or thinking. I mean, I see about 10 bills, uh, 20 bills at most in a legislative year that go through the ag committee. The, juris- the jurisdiction that the committee has is not, it's not a lot. And I'm looking to change that. And so, uh, again, it, it really started off with the pandemic, the concerns that farmers brought. And it, it really, I think, just very similar to what happened in, in Solano County, Solano County, just farmers concerned about, hey, what's going on and who is this company or individual? We don't know. For me, it was all these signs, you know, for sale signs that I saw across the Central Valley. And I thought, well, this is scary. But I think I got just like a little, a huge red flag um, when we saw during the pandemic that when we were going to the grocery stores, our some of the shelves for food were empty. And I thought to myself, well, we really got to dig in more into, into food security. We got to do more. This is, this is not acceptable. I mean, the panic that people, that we were all experiencing about not having enough food and what, I mean, whether or not we were, the grocery stores were going to get that food. And obviously I don't think that the consumer, right. um, Does, doesn't necessarily know all the work and where, the food comes from, but that is so important. And, and if we don't have security, we, we have insecurity and instability. And so I didn't, as we were digging in, we knew that there was a need, um, to, to get more information. Are you seeing the same issue happen across the country in other, in other areas besides California? I mean, I, I, it's difficult to say because I don't think that that data is, is, um, very easily available to the public. I think that we definitely have gaps in the information of, of whether foreign governments are or foreign companies are buying agricultural land or to what extent they have a role in in our food system, which I think we need to dig into into it a little bit more or a lot more, I should say. But a lot of it, it's 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 very complex, right? Um, it also means that we have to make sure that there's corporate transparency. And my understanding is that back in 2020, Congress passed the Corporate Transparency Act because it seemed like there was a little bit of, you know, anonymous uh, companies. And it seems like we don't really have an understanding to what extent um, they're playing a role in our economy. And we need to know. I I think there needs to be better transparency around that. And so the implementation of that legislation uh, should be going into effect next year. And I think that's going to go a long way in in trying to figure it out if if there really is an issue or not, right? And uh, really trying to identify wh- what you know next steps we need to do. And I was hoping that with SB ten eighty four and SB two two four, we would have a little bit of uh, wiggle room to be able to protect you know food security in the state of California no you know given that we provide a lot of food to the world and to the nation but you know obviously there's a lot of more work that needs to be done to really um, inform and educate our 
our, our counterparts or our, our colleagues, our friends and family that are in, in urban parts of the state, because um, there, we really got to connect the dots, because if we don't, then then we all lose. It's not just those that do the work, the, the hard work. It's also those uh, individuals that um, don't know much about rural communities and the role that they play in urban communities. And that's a huge issue in California where you know, we are really governed by the large urban areas, LA, Bay Area, and areas that you represent and where most of the food's produced in the state. We have That's a challenge for all of us. And so it's a, it's a huge undertaking. Uh, so in January, you introduced SB 224, you just referenced, uh, which is the Agricultural Land Foreign Ownership and Interests Bill. Can you tell us a little bit more about that bill and what you think it would have accomplished had it passed? Yeah. So Senate, Senate Bill 224, really what would it, it um, what we were looking to do in that piece of legislation is ban foreign governments from owning agricultural land. And really what we wanted to ultimately you know, kind of um, get to is making sure that at minimum there was a moratorium in place uh, until we gathered all the information that we need to make the most appropriate decision. And, you know, Canada is doing something similar um, with their, you know, housing market. Uh, And I felt that this, again, this is something that needed to move forward until we got all the data. And so what it also was looking to do is collect data because I, I believe that it, it, you know, going back a little bit to your question about, is this happening across the country? Is this happening in other parts of the world? I, I do believe that it is right. And, and I think that, that it's not just, uh, you know, individuals or farmers or here in California or across the country, I think it's all over the, the world. And, um, and so we really got to look at what that means. Right. And, you know, climate change is impacting food security. It's impacting energy security. It's pe- impacting water security. And so what the way that I see it is that we, there's, there's a nexus between all three. We, we got to make sure that, um, we're following and keeping, you know, track on on making sure that there's no kind of any kind of manipulation and that that it's a fair, um, you know, market when it comes to you know, water, energy and food. And so the bill uh, looked to gather information if there was a foreign company uh, that that had ownership here in, in those in those areas, again, just to be able to make a, an assessment that is accurate and therefore we can make policy that's um, more reflective of, of the of reality again and not just on speculation because whether whether you're a foreign government or a foreign corporation or even a US corporation I mean it, just last year I believe there was about um, 40 40 million acres of land that were sold so it, it is it all one buyer? Is it multiple buyers? Does that what does that mean for uh, agri you know, for agricultural land? And we're facing a lot of issues that I just don't think we fully recognize, and that we really need to get to the bottom of. And SB two two four would have gotten to it, I think, in part, and and it provided a solution. And yeah, well, you're definitely not alone. There's at least a dozen states that have enacted foreign ownership laws in regard to agricultural land. Recently, in fact, Congress, as you're aware, are, is also talking about doing something more. So, 
your effort is 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 not alone here. Uh, why do you think the bill didn't go anywhere this year? And then, and what are your plans to move forward with that similar legislation in the future? I mean, it's really difficult to say. I mean, I think I, I mean there's definitely some that wanted to make this about you know a particular country or you know targeting a certain group of people that's that's not what the intention of this bill is that's not what it was looking to do really is just making sure that we have an economy that works for us it's making sure that um that it's a fair um it just a fair system for our, our farmers that were making sure that food is being produced that we have food security because um, like we saw in the pandemic, we can easily go from full, um, you know, fully stocked shelves in the grocery stores to empty ones. And I never want us to to get to that point ever again, whether we go through a pandemic or not. We need to have uh, we need to improve our food system and and whatever it takes. We need to we need to just be at the table and be willing to, to work together to um make it better for everybody because the food that we produce here goes around the world as well. So people in other parts of the world are impacted. And so, um, we rely on each on a lot on each other to keep ourselves fed and alive. And I, I want California to continue to do that. Well, and you know, when we think about governments, other, other countries maneuvering through the political power structures, it's typically through departments of defense not usually through agriculture, but we can see where that food security issue could, uh, for governments to come in and, and monopolize or manipulate other countries' food supplies. We're seeing that, you know, at, in in Russia and Ukraine, we've seen the impacts that that has, and seeing that potential for a state like California that you know, geographically is pretty good size, but it's not enormous. But it produces so much of our food, as you said, that, that feeds not only the United States, but feeds the world. And to have that manipulated or potentially manipulated by a, another government, that's scary. That really impacts that, that food security. Yeah. So I'm hoping that I, we can get do the adequate uh, amount of education out there so that people understand. And I think we're we're getting there. Um, I'm, I was happy that we did the hearing uh, after the bill, after SB 224 got stalled in the Senate Appropriations Committee, I was disappointed. Uh, but but I felt like this Flannery situation provided an opportunity to educate people about what's going on, because it's not about the, how you look or where you come from. Uh, it, it has nothing absolutely nothing to do with that and has everything to do with food security. And we all should be at the table uh, in, in helping improve this because food security is something that we're all impacted by it, whether we have it or not. And so uh, I'm hoping that, that, you know, the, I think there was a lot of good information that came out of this hearing. And, uh, and even to me, there was just new information that I just found um, surprising and was a bit shocked. And, and I felt that there was a need, there's a need to do more. And so uh, I, I, I'm hoping that um, the Ag Committee will begin to get the level of attention and jurisdiction that it needs to really elevate food security at another level, because that's something we all care about. The committee hearing kind of changed focus 
right before the, the scheduled hearing took place because it was right before that when we found out through the New York Times article just who it was purchasing all of this land around uh, Travis mm-hmm. Air Force Base. And that's when we learned about Flannery and Associates and their, and their plan uh, to, to build this mega green city in the middle of really nowhere and, and on top of some valuable agricultural ground. At the hearing, we talked about why landowners were selling. What is it that was, was convincing these landowners that the offers coming from Flattery and Flattery and Associates was was worth taking? From the testimony in the hearing, what did you learn in that regard uh, about the struggles that these landowners were facing and why they chose to sell out to somebody that they, they didn't really even know who they were selling to? Well, look, from the moment almost that I got elected into office and began having conversations uh, with with farmers and those that work in the uh, within the ag industry, because it, it doesn't just impact farmers, right? It impacts the entire uh, industry there. And, and a lot of it just policies that come out of Sacramento. It, it, and it's not just one or two, it's multiple. And uh, it, it could be also um, the cost of things. Uh, it could be um, the challenges if children don't want to take over farms. I, I don't, I don't, necessarily blame them for 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 selling um it's their land and and uh they worked very hard for it and and i i don't i don't blame them but if there if there's farmers that are being pushed out forced out so that you know x company tries to gain leverage that's 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 not okay with me uh and uh if if a if an individual or if a farmer wants to continue farming I, I, I want to support that, but, um, I, I really do. I really am concerned about not having, uh, you know, this, the ag industry being majority, uh, owned by, by small farmers. Um, I'm, my fear is that it, it will obviously become a lot more corporate. And while that could be a good thing, it could also be a really bad thing. Like I said, I think if we had a better, uh, understanding of where things are shifting, then then we would really know if we have an issue or not. Perhaps we don't, but uh, I my gut feeling and based on what people tell me in, in my Senate district and beyond, there's issues that we need to address. And I think we, we appreciate that because we look at this larger conversation as to what's forcing or what's leaning into the decision of these farmers and ranchers to sell the land in the first place. And, you know, California is on track to lose another 797,000 acres by 2040, according to the American Farmland Trust. Uh, that's huge. That's a huge impact to the state that's, that's with the leading industry is in agriculture. We, the California Rangeland Trust serves over 88 different ranching families in California. And we have another 90, over 90 additional families on our waiting list wanting to permanently protect those lands so they can stay on them and continue to, to ranch them. And, but we talk to them all the time about what is it that makes it hard to stay on that land. And you've alluded to some of those in your comments just, just now. And as you are aware, it's very, very tight profit margins, uh, very, very tight. So anything that, that impacts the, the expense side of the ledger 
you know, and when the income side of the ledger isn't going up as well, makes it really hard. Labor costs and regulations are, are, are key in that. Fuel costs, it is, and I made this comment in the hearing, and I said, you know, $5 diesel is hard to deal with. Well, within a week after that hearing, it was $6 diesel. And when you got to run a tractor or a truck and equipment out there on that type of expense, that, that'll kill you. Carb requirements, the Air Resources Board requirements on equipment that isn't, isn't legal to run, perfectly good equipment, but doesn't meet new requirements that keep coming down the line and you can't sell it. So you're stuck with equipment that's worth sometimes, well, originally worth you know six figures and now it's not. So then land being purchased as investments, uh, drought, water restrictions, and even you alluded to a minute ago, the generational transfer, uh, what's happening with our, our aging farmer and rancher population, and, and how is that going to be transferred to the next generation? That next generation is looking at this going, can I make a living doing this? It's a great lifestyle, and it's a great culture. But if I can't make a living doing that, but I can make a living uh, outside the farmer ranch and have my weekends off, and be done at five o'clock in the in the evening and not have to work 20 hour days at times and seven days a week. That's a that's a pretty easy decision for me to make. But that decision impacts all of us in, in this state. And and I'd even throw in the negative perception that farming farmers and ranchers get from many in the media. And even some in, in, in government, local government and state government and, and national government. That's a tough one to, to battle. Uh, luckily, we have someone like you that, that is, doesn't do that and is actually you know, banging the drum in support of the industry. And, that's, and we really appreciate that. But it, it's unfortunately, we get too many that don't, have, don't understand that. And there's a huge disconnect. What issues, and you've alluded to some of them. Are there any others that you see or hear that are driving agriculturists out of business in California? There, there's plenty. There's plenty of those, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, water, energy cost, as you as you mentioned, a generational shift there. Um, but look, Michael. At the end of the day, I feel hopeful. I really do because I see a lot of you know students that are very much involved in FFA and. They want to become, you know, farmers or, or ranchers, whatever may whatever it may be. They they're very passionate and they they see ag as the solution to the climate crisis, and that to me is just amazing, and it makes me hopeful because I, I know that we just got to make sure that we give them the tools and the resources to to do that. That we don't allow corporations to take over that are, that's going to make it much more expensive for their dream, that dream to become true. Um, they put, again, they're young. Uh, they're working hard towards their future in ag. We got to protect that future for them. And uh, the, it's there. We just, we just, we got to work on it as uh, at the policy level and, and individual level in any way that we can to support our youth, our younger generations, because really they have the most to lose. And I, I do believe that they understand the importance of agriculture in the climate crisis. And they're the ones that are going to be able to help us 
overcome a lot of the challenges that we are facing now. Absolutely concur. It's, it's, we've had FFA students and youth come in and, and we've talked to them and they've, and they've been participants in, in some of our events. And it's really encouraging to see that, that uh, energy. And my daughter's an FFA advisor at her high school. Uh, we've got a great network of, of really uh, young, energetic teachers in the ag industry and, and FFA advisors throughout the state uh, trying to do just that, keep uh, encourage these youth to pursue these careers. But what can we do? Do you have any specific solutions or ideas that can help maintain and have a future for these kids that want to get into agriculture? Yeah, look, I, I think that one of the things that that um, the ag industry in California um, that I would like to see, you know, do more um, is obviously engage the younger generation a, a lot more into what's into policy, into into everything that that is going on, right? And in Sacramento and in DC, uh, but also I think there's opportunity again. Like we, I spoke about how. A lot of our youth see agriculture as the solution to the climate crisis. Um, and it, one of the things that I did last year is participated in the climate conference that took place in Egypt last year. And it was my first time. I'm not, uh, quote unquote, known as an environmentalist, although I see myself as one. And I know that you probably see yourself as one as well. I think that most in the ag uh, industry see themselves in, as environmentalists. But it's not something that I, you know, have uh, took interest in. And, and I just figured, you know what, I need to be more engaged in this because a lot of the ideas and global like ideas and solutions that end up impacting farmers and the ag industry at the local level, it really stem out of the, the climate conference and the, these goals. And so um, I, I think that there's an opportunity, not just um, for our youth, but for our, our farmers and ranchers to be engaged in, and if there's opportunity to engage in this um, conference to to learn more and and have a better understanding, I think that's going to be a lot more helpful. Um, at, at you know, as we're doing policy back back at home, and so my goal again is to kind of elevate the role of of the ag committee in the state senate, and hopefully. Um, maybe not this year, but the following year, we can engage in those key conversations in one way or another. Uh, maybe we start off uh, just at the entry level or trying to get in, but uh, being part, you know, being part of the conversation, I think is just um, really important, uh, especially as, as the climate conference is going to take a lot more interest in ag. And last year, for the first time, they saw and they incorporated some an entire day to like ag and water. And that was the first time that the climate conference did that. And so uh, it seems to me like the path forward, at least what I'm hearing out in the universe, is that ag is going to be a lot more um, the focus about dealing with the climate crisis. And so I think for us, we have to be able to kind of, um, kind of get ahead of that in it, you know, in any kind of way possible, because we don't want non-farmers, non-ranchers to come and say, this is what needs to happen. And this is what needs to get done. And then, and then, and then we go out of, you know, 
business, right? And that's, um, we, we got to be engaged in being part of the solution. I think we are the, solu- the, the solution, but we need to be driving it. And so having a conversation and playing a role to whatever capacity that we can, we must do it. I appreciate that. And it's interesting that, you know, as you, and I agree with you, as you said, agriculture is becoming more and more of a focus in the climate conversations. Unfortunately, it's not always looked at as the, as the solution. It's looked at as the, the cause of issues and science be damned. In a lot of cases, they, some of the folks, you, you confuse them with, with, with the data and those goals that they want to see making agriculture the villain uh, is what we're faced with. So getting, like you said, getting ahead of that and showing that agriculture really is a solution to, to this is, is so important. Well, and I think, again, part of the big challenge and problem here is that you we have in individuals or NGOs, I don't really know, but you know, making policy decisions, whether it's at, at a global level and that breaks down to a local level, that at the end of the day, don't necessarily have the experience of being out at a farm or, uh, or that, it, you know, they don't come from a, a line of, of family farmers. Uh, and so when they have an understanding from the outside, that's not a real understanding. That's just an understanding from not knowing how it all works, uh, truly. And I think that's where, where the ag uh, industry needs to play a role in, because that's what that's what we all know, you all know, and um, and and otherwise we're just going to be on the menu for dinner. <laughs> well, one of the obviously one of the our mission is to do what we can to protect that that land resource and make sure that that land is available for not only the current generation but for generations to come. Producing that that food and fiber that in, in, a, in a local method so that we have that food security without the land as you said you know we've lost it and once it's paved over or developed it's not going to come back so how important do you see agricultural land conservation as as an issue for the state and then do you see the state government uh, through appropriations standing behind that theory and helping conserve these lands Sometimes it's just really difficult to say, even as a policymaker, um, again, sometimes working in this, being the chair of the Ag Committee, trying to push for policies that I think will help, don't necessarily always get through. If, if And maybe maybe for better, maybe for worse, who knows? I'm, but it's really difficult to say. Um, Again, I think it's important to have those conversations. I think com- committee hearings create good opportunities to voice those um, concerns, uh, the ideas, or really the we need to we need to create the vision. We need to create the path, and and we need to just start letting the world know, le- letting the masses know, and and I'm hoping that we can begin to have more of that. Um, that dialogue through these committee hearings. And I, I have to say that um, there were quite a bit of reporters at this last hearing that we had. And so I'm, I'm really uh, proud of, of the level of attention that this uh, hearing um, brought uh, and 
the mentions that it had and that were reported throughout different media outlets. And again, I think this is this is only going to be the, the beginning of ag being part of the, the leading conversations when it comes to anything and everything, because we all care about food security. We all care about the, our food cost. And those are the types of things that yeah, could create, um, have, that have destabilized other nations that have, you know, created wars. Uh, and so again, the, the, there, there will be, I'm sure there will be more conversations about, um, about it all. To back up a bit earlier this year, you had a hearing on the farm bill and invited the rangeland trust to, to testify at that hearing as well. And, uh, we want to commend you for for doing that, that I think was a very valuable hearing for California's involvement in a, a funding bill on the federal level that comes around every five years. And having the, the state have some input into that is critical and you led that charge. And so uh, thank you for, for doing that as well. It's, as you said, you, it's your one committee uh, you're not a probes, you're, you're, you're the ag committee, so you can do everything that you can, but the first strings are, are controlled elsewhere and other policies are made in other committees. But when it comes down to educating and sharing that information and bringing it to light, getting it out there, that's a key role for, for your committee and, and you're doing a great job at that, Senator. We appreciate that. Thank you, Michael. And I'm not going to give up. I don't, I'm not known for giving up and uh, I will continue to push, push, push and until we, you know, until there's solutions that are offered that are, that work for everybody. Senator, thank you for being a part of this conversation today. I know your, your schedule is packed and we appreciate you sharing a little bit of time with us and, and our listeners. Uh, is there anything else you want to wrap up with? Oh, I just thank you so much for the invitation to come and speak about what I love speaking about the most. And I look forward to future conversations and future committee hearings on on all things ag. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate your leadership. Thank you. And this closes the gate on another episode of Tune Into the Land. Be sure to hit that follow button so you'll be notified when the next episode drops. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time. 